0: welcome to the vine podcast this is warren and today i'm joined by the rascos terry and zo Rasco, are here with me today hello terry and zo hey warren hello warren uh so y'all are fresh off a trip to israel and all kinds of places over there do you feel recovered yet have you caught up on your sleep
1: uh, I don't know how fresh we are, but <laughs> we are just off of our trip. We got, but, So this recording is taking place on Tuesday, and we got back a little after midnight, Friday night of last week, but that was almost 48 hours of travel with almost no sleep. So uh, I'm almost caught up. I don't know who Zoe is yet. She's been busy since we got back. Yeah, I uh,
2: I I am very fortunate that I have never experienced jet lag. Um, so I'm just rolling with that. I was going to say,
0: Zoe, you're probably you're accustomed to going long distances of, of time without sleep, though. So that's just your normal, right? Yeah, I, <laughs> I still do all-nighters, so I think that's right. Uh Well, yeah, so Zoe and Terry just got back from uh, a long trip over to Israel. And, you know, I was remembering back earlier uh, today, kind of thinking about this conversation and thinking about we... Um, we did a, a Wednesday night with you all a while back just on the benefits of travel. I guess it's been a couple of years ago at this point, at least uh, the benefits of travel and of experiencing different cultures and what we learn from from those experiences, what we gain from that and how that can kind of shape us and help us to understand different people and perspectives, all that good stuff that, that comes with travel. And so I appreciate y'all taking some time to join us today, because what we're going to do is just hear from, uh, from Zoe and Terry about this trip, because I think, especially for people of faith, this, this trip has probably a, even a different level of kind of that ability to, uh, to shape and to form and to give us new perspective and, and get to experience some of the places that we read about in Scripture and all those fun things. So that's what we're going to do today is just uh, have a chance to hear from, from y'all about your experience there and what you got to see, what you got to do, and, and what you're going to take away from, from those experiences. So I appreciate you taking some time to, to share with us about your experience there while, while still kind of getting readjusted to routine of life here in Temple. Sure. Okay, so let's start here. Let's just kind of start with if you can just kind of maybe give us the the details of of the trip itself. What what did you do? Where did you go? Uh kind of lay out the, the just kind of the logistical details of where all you went and and what you got to do.
1: Okay, I I can um give you information about this part. So first of all, it starts out that two years ago, just before the pandemic, we had booked this trip. So it was supposed to take place in April of 2020. And uh, the pandemic essentially shut that down. And so really within two weeks of the time we were supposed to leave on our trip, in 2020, the trip got canceled, Israel closed their borders. And so we were just waiting. And then a year or so ago, we saw the trip pop back up. And so we booked it thinking, oh, surely the pandemic will be done by then. Well, it was done enough. Israel just opened up its borders to tourists, uh, mostly uh, opened it up uh, March first. So we went. We we uh, arrived around the thirteenth or so of March, and we were one of the first tour groups they had actually seen through. Which there were still some things that were being worked out with COVID tests and things, but. Um, everybody was excited to see us and they were so happy that tourists were starting to come back and our guide just said multiple times oh you guys are so blessed because these places are usually so busy you can't even get in some of these places and you guys are just walking right in and there's no lines and so again it's uh there's that little window so if anyone's considering going someplace internationally now it's probably a good time to book it uh, cause I suspect by the end of the year, but who knows with the pandemic, but at some point all the crowds will be back and maybe even more so cause there's probably, if it's like Zoe and I, there's, there was a lot of pent up desire to travel cause we've had nothing outside the United States for the last few years. As far as the locations, we went to Israel and Jordan. If you're not familiar with that part of the country, so picture in your, in your, uh, picture your Bible maps. Uh, you've got uh, Israel with the Sea of Galilee in the north, the Jordan River going down to the Dead Sea, and on the west side of that bank is Israel. On the east side of that bank is the country of Jordan, and you will see that uh, when you look at the you know the stories in the Bible, they they talk about the Moabites and the Edomites and. Uh, we'll talk about on the east bank of the Jordan and the west bank of the Jordan, maybe more in the podcast. But those were the two countries that we visited there. Israel is much smaller than Jordan, but they both share that border up and down the Jordan River and uh, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Uh, and so we went to uh, sites on, in both countries, sometimes There was a preference for which side of the border we were on, depending on the biblical significance there. Uh, Sometimes it could have gone either way, such as going to see the Dead Sea. It doesn't really matter where you see the Dead Sea from. It's still this big, vast, salty sea. Um, But um, we were there about two weeks. And as far as the nature of the trip, it was not through a specific Christian group or a church Zoe and I had watched a lot of those uh, Christian-based videos uh, many years ago, and I think I probably have every collection of those in my library now. And so we had seen a lot of those, and those were very meaningful, but this was an education-based trip that each part of the trip uh, had a different perspective. When we were in the Palestinian-controlled parts of Israel, we had a Palestinian guide when we were in Jordan, we had a Jordanian guide. When we were with uh, Muslims, we had a Muslim guide and uh, and so forth. We had Jewish guides, Christian guides. Um, and so we had different perspectives that gave us different lenses. And sometimes even listening to the same story, but then to hear two different people present that information, you could see just the enormous complexity of that region. I mean, if we think we have complex geopolitical issues in the United States. I mean that that nation, that region is just so steeped in history and land rights and, you know, oh yeah, yeah, you were here two thousand years ago, but we were here a thousand years ago. So who has the right to be here now? You know, in you so we saw that and uh it's interesting because um the geography was one of the big things i wanted to see and i'll probably mention that in a little bit but the geography was important for me to be able to see and understand that because i often think in terms of flatlands and uh uh, you know what i'm what i'm used to in texas and even in the mountainous regions of like big ben and west texas that really doesn't prepare you for what the geography is there, which is extremely rugged and rolling hills. And there's very little flat land except in some of the valleys and on the coastland there. So, Zoe, any other things you wanna just say in general?
2: Uh, No, I I just,
1: um, it was interesting.
2: Uh, One of the things is just the age of things. We would see a building you know next to our hotel that was built during the Byzantine era, <laughs> you know and our country has such a tiny short history it's hard for us to relate sometimes to to other parts of the world that have been around a lot longer. Um, but we could kind of walk through, as Warren was asking just the the general outlay of what we did and we flew into Tel Aviv uh, and spent a couple of days there and then um, it's called Jaffa. Um, a port, uh, Joppa is what we remember it as. And so we were just walked over uh, to Jaffa. It was very nearby. And then we spent a few days in Jerusalem, um, a ton of history there, um, in Bethlehem and Nazareth and Tiberias up in the northern part of Israel and uh, Magdala and Capernaum. Uh, So those were all towns you've read about, you know, and just to actually go to the towns and they're still called the same thing. And then we moved over to Jordan, which was a, a major ordeal. Um, we did, we went to um, down by the Dead Sea, a Mount Nebo, Madaba, um, Bethany beyond the Jordan, not to be confused with the other Bethany, uh, then Jerash, uh, which was a surprise for me and, and something I really enjoyed. Um, and then um, I think actually it may have been on the other side. We did the Qumran, where the the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. So that was kind of the and then oh and then Petra and Wadi Rum, which was in southern Jordan. So we covered a ton of territory. We spent a fair amount of time on the bus, but we got to see some really really amazing places by doing that. But that was kind of all of the different places that that we hit in our two weeks.
0: Yeah, that's that's a lot of locations. You made the rounds. <laughs> it was,
2: it was, we did. We covered two countries pretty well. Yeah,
0: that's great. And, you know, I know, so this was the first time for each of you to be there. Is that right, I think? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, you know... Most people are shocked. Terry was pretty sure we were the last people in
2: the world to go visit Israel.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sure you're not the last people in the world. No, I've, I've certainly never been. And I know... Well, a lot, of people, a lot have. of people have. A lot of people have. A lot of, of people, people have. have but when I have talked to other people... Uh, who have been, I think it was kind of a similar sentiment to what you just said. So just that idea of, of being in places that you've read about in the Bible for, you know, years, decades, whatever. And, and I remember, you know, on a much smaller scale as an adult going to New York for the first time, and even having that experience, you know, even without the religious and theological connotations of it, about you know, oh, this is where this show was shot, or this is you know this this famous building from this movie that we watch, and and just kind of the the kind of the interesting connections that that brings about, and so I would imagine it's even magnified, you know, being in the quote unquote holy lands or, or being in Israel, where where you've got all these. Uh, stories and and history built into what you've been reading about for for years and and for most of your life. And so I'm wondering if you can just share some about that, about where there are particularly meaningful aspects or, or, or what did you find kind of meaningful or interesting about just getting to go to some of those places that you've read about and known about for so long.
2: I'll, I'll just mention kind of almost a sidebar. Um, so I teach three and four-year-olds, um, three, four, and five-year-olds Sunday school and have for over 30 years, and I love it. Um, I wouldn't teach anybody older than that. They would know more than me, but um, the curriculum we have is, was developed by um, Jamie at our church, and it is a two-year curriculum, 104 Bible stories, Genesis to Revelation, and it's just Bible stories. We walk straight through the Bible. And the last several weeks, we have been studying Moses, um, leaving Egypt, uh, the plagues, and crossing uh, the sea. And uh, we did Sunday, we did manna and uh, and quail, and they kept thinking it was chickens, and so we kind of went with the chicken thing. But um, it was interesting to be in some places that you know, I've been teaching for years, but I also just taught on Sunday. Um, so it really, really is, was striking to think. And you know, and I told my kids that Sunday is like, I was there, you know, in the desert, because we talked about manna in the desert. You know, I I was there. Uh, it's really, really a remarkable feeling.
1: Yeah, I, um, I can add that when I told our Jewish guide this, um, who was with us for the first part of the trip, uh, when we landed in Tel Aviv, we uh, toured Tel Aviv, which is, a, I, I call it a modern city. It's it's really like being in Miami. You're right on the beach. It's a beachfront community of about 400, 500,000 people with skyscrapers, uh, although the city was built right after uh, Israel became a state in 1948. Uh, still, it doesn't have that biblical significance, and so I told our guide that that was interesting. I enjoyed seeing a new foreign city and the culture around there, uh, and eating the foods. But it really didn't feel like the trip that I was counting on until the next day when we went to Jerusalem. And now you're walking the streets of Jerusalem and that impact of, oh, wow, now we're really in the Holy land. Um, and so there was a lot of that. And even, even towns today that are not as familiar Like Petra itself, this massive stone, you know, carved out of stone city, isn't mentioned in the Bible per se, but it was very much an important town at the time of Jesus. It was a town that was built around 300 BC and thrived for several centuries after the Romans and the Romans annexed it. It was very much a thriving city culture at the time of Jesus, and they were in the uh, trade route, they call it the the King's Highway, that was on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, where spices would come from the east and from India, and they would go through that area of Petra, uh, that's called the the area of the Nabataeans, or uh, the Moabites, you may be familiar with Moab, and so they were in the area of Moab, Moab. And so even areas that you think, well, I don't remember that in the Bible, they were just called by something different. Like Zoe mentioned this uh, uh, Roman city that was just as spectacular as anything in Rome or um, in Greece as far as just what's left and it's in Northern uh, Jordan and it's called Gerash, but in the Bible it's Gerasa, and it was part of the Decapolis, and so around just east of the Sea of Galilee. And so you will hear Jesus visited the area of the Decapolis. And so this is, it was really impressive to see these Roman ruins there, all of the columns and the theaters and everything, and know that that was a city that Jesus also you know, visited that area, or it's mentioned in the New Testament there, but as you said, Warren, just the historic and then biblical significance of that area makes this trip different than a lot of the others. And so, I mean, seeing the Sea of Galilee, uh, there's nothing sp- specifically impressive about the Sea of Galilee, although it is the the lowest freshwater body of water on the, on the face of the planet. It's 700 feet below sea level, which that doesn't get brought out in scripture very much. But it's very much if you go from a uh, from the seashore and you go anywhere outside of the seashore, you are going up. So there is a there is a mount everywhere. So when Jesus spoke uh, on the mount and to give his sermon on the mount, unless you're standing on the beach, you're going to be going up the side of a mountain. It's going to be the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> uh, yes. You know, if it's a Sermon on the Plain, it's, a, it's the flat top of the mountain there. Um, and so uh, understanding the geography helps. And, and I think this, I think maybe many people have heard this before, but I know the very first time I was thinking about some of the wording in the Bible where it says they went up to Jerusalem. And, you know, it's like, well, For us, if you go up someplace, that often means going north. I went up to Dallas, or I went up to Washington, D.C. But in the Bible, it refers to going up in elevation. And so when you go up to Jerusalem, which is probably about 2,500 feet above sea level, and you start out 700 feet below sea level, or if you're in the Dead Sea, it's 1,300 feet below sea level, the, the lowest point of land or water on the face of the planet, Uh, you are definitely going up, and you feel it. I mean, your ears are popping as you're going up or down to either Galilee or the Dead Sea. And so, again, it's some of that language which, you know, it doesn't necessarily change your understanding of Scripture, but it adds to it when they said, we're going up to Jerusalem, because you literally are climbing a hill to go up to Jerusalem.
0: Yeah, and especially if you were doing it in that time when you're not not doing it by bus, you you probably feel it feel it even in in different ways yeah your ears may have more time to adjust as you go up but your legs and <laughs> legs and arms and
1: or your camels probably feeling it so yeah yeah we um when we stayed on the coast of galilee we stayed in the largest city on the coast of galilee which is called tiberius which is the same thing it was called back in biblical times um and we stayed in a hotel that was in the center of town and we walked down to the water Uh, a couple of times and it's fine going down, but then you are all uphill going back up. And I know we were huffing and puffing to get back up to the hotel because it's very much a steep climb back up again. And it was a weird thing. My watch has the elevation it has the altitude on it. And to see that minus sign much of the trip was, uh, you know, it's, what's our elevation. Oh, it's minus, you know, 600 feet or so forth. So, or to hear that Masada, which is up on a plateau You know, it's only 100 feet above sea level, but it's 1,400 foot above the Dead Sea because it's right on the shores of the Dead Sea. So it's it's quite a climb up. It was enough climb up that it took the Romans a long time to build a ramp to actually breach the walls. One of the things that Terry mentioned, the uh, video
2: series um, that we watched years ago many times, where someone would, would, was there with a group of people and kind of outside explaining things is about this idea of tells, um, which are mounds, and that they're tells partly because a city has been built upon a city, upon a city, upon a city, and we saw a good bit of that where they've excavated and all. And so it's kind of like one hill to another hill and how um, a sense of how close things are. Because when you're on one hill and you need to go to that one over there, you can see it. You know, you got to walk down and walk up, but, but you can see it from here. And I was really interested to kind of see that myself of just proximity. Living in Texas, you know, things can be over 900 miles away from you and still be in Texas. Um, to be, have some kind of sense of how close, you know, when they rode the donkey to Bethlehem, you know, how, how far was that really? Um, and I think that was something that was really interesting to me is just, um, seeing how close things actually are for the most part.
0: Were there other, were there specific kind of Bible stories or narratives or themes kind of in addition to, to kind of that geography aspect of things, were there other stories or themes that you kind of felt like you, you have a different or a new perspective on now after, after being there and, and kind of experiencing it and hearing, hearing from the the people there?
1: Um, we spent several days around Galilee, and, you know, Jesus, most of his ministry was essentially around Galilee, and that was very interesting, uh, because a lot of those uh, towns don't really uh, exist in the way that they, like Jerusalem, when you go to Jerusalem, there's a lot of structure there, that still exist. Now, it's been built on top of each other, but around Galilee, they're mostly all in ruins. And like the city of Tiberias is a modern city. Um, But you can find these ruins, like the town of Magdala uh, is where, thought to be where Mary Magdalene came from. And there's an old ancient city there and uh, synagogues. And so that's one reason they thought a lot of these things that had been unearthed were uh, were Jewish communities, because they could find essentially a synagogue there. And when we were in the city of Capernaum, which is essentially, uh, the it's really not an existing city now, it's more of a historical site, and there's a church built right over, and it has a glass floor in it, so you can still see this, and it looks like a spaceship that's landed because it's up on pylons, so you can still get to the ruins but it's a, a a house and there's a synagogue near it in this little town of Capernaum. And they call it Peter's house because that's where Peter and his mother-in-law lived and where Jesus stayed with them and where many of the disciples were from. Um, it's funny because on the Sea of Galilee, there's these old boats. And now, of course, they're mainly for the tourists, but uh, you can see these little old boats going in and out uh, for tourists to go out. And of course, I had to eat fish Uh, at the Sea of Galilee, which they call St. Peter's Fish, uh, which is really kind of tilapia. (laughs) But uh, anyway, Zoe didn't care for it. It still had the head on it.
0: Was that the actual name of a place, St. Peter's Fish? Uh, No, that was... uh, Like, is there a little little fish stand, fish and chip stand out there at the (laughs) the water? No, they
1: sell a lot of fish, but that would probably be a good thing. You know, St. Peter's Fish, catch of the day. Yeah,
0: there you go. You can make some money off that. Probably. Yeah, every
1: 10th every, every fish has a coin in the mouth. I don't know. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lots of promotional opportunities. Yeah, one of the, it,
1: go anyways,
2: one of the um, sites that I really enjoyed, and again, back to that idea of, of perspective and how far things were um, in Jerusalem, one of the first places we went was to the Mount of Olives, uh, which is pretty high up. Uh, And and we pulled in and it had this viewpoint that was magnificent looking down over Jerusalem. And, you know, the walls of uh, the temple, the city of David was down in front of us. And the place where the temple was uh, and where the mosque is now. And, And from the Mount of Olives, it was just looking down at that. And then they pointed out over there is Gethsemane. Um, you know, and just they they all pieced it together, and when we got closer uh, to the temple Mount, and was it in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you know Golgotha was just outside the wall, well, it was like just outside the wall and and the cave where the tomb was thought to be was just like over there, everything was very close um, and i 'll mention because they said it every single time. That these places that they've designated and turned into shrines, really, um, they would be clear to say tradition has it, that this is a location, Um, which I appreciated. But on the other hand, the tradition goes back, you know, like to the second century or maybe before. So it wasn't um, literally in 33, uh, but... You know, boy, compared to thousands of years later, that was pretty close to when those things were happening. So even if it wasn't just right, it it was intended to try to say, you know, this is this is what it might have looked like and was really helpful to just kind of visualize all that and where things were and where they would have walked and how long of a trip it would have been.
1: Yeah, we went to a, a cave in Bethlehem where... Um, they now have, they still have like a little church service inside of this cave, but the cave, you can see the walls are burnt, and obviously there have been people that have lived in there over the the millennia. And they said that that would have been a very typical cave in Bethlehem, on the outskirts of Bethlehem, where shepherds would have kept their sheep at night, and especially on the colder nights, they wouldn't have had them out under the stars necessarily. may have had them inside this cave and it would have kept the sheep protected and also it would have kept the shepherds warm to have all that wool in there in the middle of the night and you might think yeah i think some people are surprised that jerusalem is at the same latitude as temple texas they're both around 31 degrees northern latitude so i mean that region is certainly affected by the elevation and by the fact that it's near the Mediterranean, but they still have seasons as well. And so when it snowed in Jerusalem, when we got there, so it was a very light snow. It lasted not very long. And so we were wearing coats for the first part. Um, And so they were finishing up their winter going into the spring And everything was really green. And so they said that it's a beautiful time of year because the flowers were blooming. And a lot of the hills where they do get rain were green. Uh, But it doesn't take very... 60% of Israel is desert. And so as soon as you get outside of those green areas, uh, if there's not a natural spring, then it's all desert. Um, And, uh, you know, water is such a huge... And When Zoe talked about the different tells, uh, spelled T-E-L, tell literally means hill. But the reason there's a hill there often is because it's civilizations built on top of other civilizations in the way they constructed their f- fortresses and their walls. They would mound up dirt and then build a wall on top of that often. Um, and so it, it, one of the reasons that they would build cities where they were were somewhat for strategic or because there was uh, uh, trade routes there, but water was a huge deal, and it still is now. And that's the reason Jerusalem is located there. It's a, it, you can fortify it. It's sitting on a hill, but there's a natural spring right down at the at the base of it, and that became really important. And you know that's how David's army got into the Jebusites and was able to take that city originally, and then it became David's capital, the city of David. And then during the life of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, when the Assyrians assaulted it, he very wisely had built an underground tunnel of the water so that the Assyrians couldn't shut off his water supply. And so Hezekiah's tunnel was built during that time. And so water is is super important. We we are starting to get a glimpse of that. And if you live in a community that has water shortages, then you you can understand that. But over there, water is always important. And to see de- that to, to see desert dwelling communities meant they mastered how to obtain water and to use it wisely.
0: Mm, yeah. Uh, I, w- I want to come back in a minute and maybe hit some kind of favorite aspects of, of the trip. But b- before we get to that, I'm, I, Terry, you had mentioned just kind of some of the geopolitical issues and, and tension that exists in, in that part of the world right now. Um, I'm I'm imagining in my mind that some of that tension gets highlighted or maybe felt most in and around Jerusalem. Is is that accurate, or can you kind of talk some about what what some of those tensions were and how did how did you feel those and 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 experience those being there? Uh,
1: yeah, I can start and then and see what Zoe's perspective is. Um, so one, first of all, the majority of people living in Israel are secular now. They are what you would what the guide called non-observant Jews. They're Jewish, but they're certainly not orthodox, and they probably adhere to many of the traditions, but not necessarily out of a religious conviction. It's kind of hard not to observe Sabbath because everything shuts down on Sabbath. Uh, when we were there... Even the elevators, just kind of an interesting note, they had, uh, so the Sabbath is Shabbat, uh, Shabbat elevators, which, so you wouldn't have to touch the button and work (laughs) or create a spark on the elevator with electricity. They are pre-programmed, so they go to every single floor, so your elevator. So for practicing Jews, they could get in the elevator that went to every floor and you didn't have to push a button. And for non-observant Jews, there's one where you could push the button So, you wouldn't have to go. So, they have, so they literally have Sabbath elevators and non-Sabbath
0: elevators.
1: (laughs) So, there is a tension that exists between the Orthodox and the secular. Uh, And so, even within the Jewish community itself, there is that tension. And they want to honor the Orthodox. So, they want to honor the religious aspects of the community. But also, there's this tension of how much. Do they let it affect the lives of people don't, that don't share that same faith? And then there's the really big in-your-face tension between the Muslim portion of the country and the Jewish portion, uh, and Jerusalem being dramatic, you know, where the Dome of the Rock sits on top of the Temple Mound uh, to this day, and I'm sure that there are religious zealots if we could use that word among the Jews that would love to see that totally taken away and you know and whether the temples rebuilt or not uh is maybe not the main thing but just to have you know to have the other religions edifice sitting right on top of your most holy site is a constant reminder and it's the most noticeable part of Jerusalem, as those said, from the Mount of Olives. You see this big gold-plated dome there. But to their credit, I will say that they've learned to live somewhat in harmony around that. They know that being able to exist and get along with people you disagree with is vital to their existence. If you can't find a way to peacefully coexist with people you disagree with, you're going to end up killing each other. And they've been through that direction too. And it's interesting because we heard from Palestinians who talked about, you know, how their land was taken and what is a great day for a Jew when the nation of Israel is granted statehood in 1948 is the disaster for them when their land was taken away from them. Um, And uh, it was interesting because Palestinians today they don't even have the right to get a passport. They don't have citizenship. And so for them to travel internationally is always a huge hassle. And we spoke to a Palestinian who actually has an easy ticket out. His wife is a German and she has German citizenship and they have children. And she was actually had gone back to Germany and said, I just can't take it here anymore. And so he's trying to decide whether to join his wife and kids in Germany and but he's afraid if he leaves Palestine, then he may not be allowed back in at some point. There's a time that if you're Palestinian and you're away long enough, you're not allowed back. And so, you know, as someone who, I don't have as I don't have the deep connection with a culture and with a land that he does, you know, it's hard for me to understand, just take the easy path, go to Germany, become a German citizen, your wife and your kids are there, your in-laws are there, but that's not where he grew up and and he, that would be like uh i think him giving up a part of himself and a part of who he is and his identity um and it's interesting because even the christian community over there they're not like what we would think these are mostly arabs uh the only christians we met were either tourists or arab christians and when you think of arab christians I'm sure there are Protestants over there. In fact, I know there are, but we never visited any Protestant areas. These were all uh, Orthodox or Roman Catholic churches and so forth. Again, uh, I'm certainly not an authority on those aspects over there, but just from all of the people, and it looks like if you just kind of, uh, the demographics of who's Christians, it's mainly Arabs over there, Arabic Christians which uh, is not what you would think. You would see this Arab man and you would think, uh, oh, surely he's a Muslim. No, he's a Christian. And you're not gonna see very many people that look maybe like us who are Christians over there. They're probably secular or Jewish over there. Zo, any thoughts about geopolitical tensions? Yeah, just
2: uh, more on a fun note, um, when we travel to a foreign country, we usually try to learn some of the language, you know, good morning, hello. When we went to Tanzania, uh, to visit Nema, uh village and then and did a safari. The Maasai were around us and I tried to learn good morning in Maasai and it's like nine words. It was just, it was too much, I couldn't do it. So one of the, one of the first mornings when the Maasai came to greet us, I thought, ah, uh, and he, he open, I opened the door and he said, good morning. <laughs> you know, they wanna to try to speak English. Uh, so we learned a few words in Hebrew and one of them, our driver for the Jerusalem time was named Moti. And we would say, Bokar Tov, Moti. And he'd say, "Bokor Or. And so we learned some words, and it was, it was fun. And so in Jerusalem, or in Israel, they have the shekel. Um, so when we were leaving from Israel into Jordan, which was kind of a major ordeal to get over there, our guide, as he was handing us off, reminded us, don't say "bokertov" to the driver in the morning. <laughs> and, and we did it. We've been doing it for days. And I made a, a big blunder. It was, I guess, I, actually our last day. Um, we don't tend to buy souvenirs. And it was our last day. And I don't have room. We take, take little suitcases. And, but there was this uh, one little thing I was going to get. And I was trying to sort out the money because they always almost have it in dollars for tourists' sake. But um, I said, no, it's okay. I have shekels. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, but the guy laughed and I was like, no, 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 I didn't mean the chuckles. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it is, you know, you're just really kind of sensitive to the tensions um, between Jordan and Israel. Um, But boy, it's it's eggshells when you're not experienced.
0: Yeah. And I know, you know, from from this side of, of kind of the world and perspective, we often hear about. The ways in which that tension um, manifests itself in negative ways, right? With either, you know, fights or uh, arg- arguments or disputes over land or holy sites or whatever it is. But I'm curious from y'all's perspective there, because, Terry, I know you said you had guides who were even kind of some who were Jewish, some who were Muslim. Um, what what examples did you see of maybe how some people in that area are holding that tension well, or or maybe in healthier or, or positive ways? Did y'all ex- experience that kind of in your time there?
1: I think the uh, our Muslim guide when we were in Jordan, you know, he takes of course he he's guiding primarily Christian tourists, or or at least or maybe agnostic tourists, but. Certainly not used. I would guess that most people going from America over there are probably Christians. I would guess Uh, they're certainly they're probably not Muslim. Not not as many Muslims going over. So he he, it behooves him. He has a financial interest in not coming across too strong. But you know they emphasize the the commonality between Muslim and Christian and Judaism as far as all being the monotheistic faiths in the common ancestor of Abraham and acknowledging that who Jesus, you know, that Jesus was a prophet. Um, and, you know, a lot of the same biblical characters of, uh, Isaac, Jacob, Ishmael and those, um, although it's interesting because of the Arab Christian, who's a priest that we spoke to. He said that, um, uh, while they do talk about that commonality, it's still not permitted for a Christian to try to proselytize a Muslim. There, that that can get you into big trouble if they think you're going out trying to convert people to Christianity if they're Muslim. Uh, at least over in Jordan, um, I do think though that you know we see more little little squabbles like some. Uh, it almost seems like the more common you are the more you tend to fuss and squabble sometimes like some of the big churches uh are operated by multiple christian groups like um i believe it was a church of the holy sepulcher where the the tomb of jesus is supposed to rest um they have uh they they have sections within there that the roman catholics control that the eastern orthodox control that other groups control, I think the Armenians control some of it, um, and they could not get together. And so the the whole structure was going into disrepair and the Israeli government had to step in and say, unless you guys fix this, we're gonna to have to shut the whole thing down. And so finally they were able to overcome some of their, dis- their differences uh, for the self-benefit of everyone so they could keep that church open but uh, i think by and large they're a good example of how you can make things work Um, but there's always that tension you know you you do get the sense that it's kind of a powder keg and there's not a spark right this minute but i think one of the one of the reasons that they are able to get along is because they know what the what the consequence of not getting along uh, it is. When we were walking one of the streets, I don't remember if it was Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, with a guide one night. It was after supper. It was not part of the official tour, but we all just wanted to walk. So we were walking the neighborhoods and there was a plaque on one of the walls and the guide pointed it out. He said, you'll see these throughout the cities. These are set up every time there was a suicide bomb and people died. And so there's these plaques around the city to, you know, so you don't forget that you know, these things do exist and that people die uh, as a result of that. And so, you know, when when a people feels oppressed and they don't feel like they have a voice, then they try to get their, their point heard in other ways. And so fortunately, you know, it's a time of peace right now. But there is that tension. Uh, every border crossing, when we went into Palestinian area uh, areas, I, I I'm, putting together all my pictures right now. And I have a picture of a sign that says danger. This is Palestinian controlled areas. It's dangerous for Jewish people to enter this area. Uh, And so and that's the sign the Palestinians put up. (laughs) And so um, there is still tension there. uh, But again, it's not like the tension we see between Ukraine and Russia right now. But it's uh, it's a tension that exists, but the people, I think you 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 live with that your whole life, and you just learn how to uh, coexist with it. There. It's been going on you, a long we, time. We, we might think why? Yeah, we might think why would you live in that culture? Well, again, same reason that Palestinian guide that we had didn't want to leave, even though he had, well, from our standpoint, would be a better way of life if he were to go over to Europe in. And lived there with his in laws.
2: One of the things I might just mention um, that was kind of important to us: this uh, company that we travel with when we go internationally. It's Terry mentioned was it's education based. Uh, We have lectures at night, and um, I don't know how many people ask me, "Oh, what church are you going with?" And um, we we chose specifically to not do that. I mean, we know the Christian story. We teach. We're teachers. Um, we were really, really interested in hearing about the Holy Land um, from the other perspectives. And this company, that's how they set it up. The uh, guide we had in Israel um, is Jewish. He was born in Baltimore, but he immigrated to Israel in his 20s and served in the army like all men have to, young men have to do. And, um, and that's where he lives. That's his home. He's got family there. Um, but his master's was in Christian studies and so it was just really interesting to have someone who is fully Jewish, um, but very uh, well um, studied in the Christian pers- uh, um, perspective so he could, he could talk to us in our language from his Jewish um, background. And I really enjoyed that part of, of having the Palestinians talk to us. We also, we haven't really mentioned the Bedouin, which are the nomads of the desert. Um, and we had several different encounters and speaker um, who were Bedouin. Uh, and that's, you know, that's hard for Americans to relate to, that you know, your family wandered with sheep and goats for a lifestyle. We don't, we don't have much of that here. Um, but I really did, and I recommend this idea of going to, to fully hear um, from those other faiths. Um, about the Holy Land because they are as ingrained in that geography and that location um, as Christianity is.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, what what Zoe just said kind of struck me that I had jotted a note down because I've had people ask me this before um, about international travel to begin with, which is uh, you know with our current technologies and information age between books and video vlogs and and uh television shows and just the internet in general you can gather a lot of information you can watch videos you can stream things education materials and you can amass a lot of information about a an a a topic a a location and i did a lot of that in preparation to go on this trip here it wasn't required but I, i generally like to research where i'm going but You know, you can get a a degree of, I think, information and factual uh, detail about something, but until you go and experience it, you really don't begin to really understand it from the perspective of the people that live there, and you don't make that, that connection with the place until you experience it. You know, it's one thing to go see an elephant in the zoo. It's another thing to go see it living in its natural habitat, and having to deal with predators and food and water and so forth. Um, In the same there, uh, that was a big reason we wanted to go over there and not just, you know, watch the videos or, you know, read the books. Those are all helpful, and sometimes that may be the only opportunity I have. There are places that I know we'll never go, and so if I want to investigate that, you know, that's the way that we'll have to do it. But... uh, As often as you can, I think, you know, and that was one of the things maybe we shared with you when we talked about travel uh, and use of travel uh, to broaden your perspective, is that it's really hard to maintain that kind of narrow focus of, I grew up in Texas, I've always lived in Texas, and to broaden that viewpoint and to understand what it means to see life through a different lens, you know, as Zoe mentioned. If the lens I view life through is my extended family and all of my relatives live in tents and we raise sheep and goats out in the desert, that is a totally different world that's foreign to me uh, as someone who always grew up in towns and cities uh, in Texas and this country. Um, And so it's helpful to hear those stories, to see those lifestyles, and Uh, Also, I think one of the perspectives that doesn't get brought out as much is we often as kind of Westerners, especially, will go to an area and we'll see some great achievement. And we can't believe that those people actually did it. So we come up with these fanciful ideas of, oh, it must have been aliens that helped the Egyptians build the pyramids. Uh, And we just can't believe that these people were as smart as we are and were able to make the to have those accomplishments uh, and do so, and we may be totally unfamiliar with that culture with that civilization like uh, I think until Indiana Jones uh, in the last crusade that movie a lot of people had never seen Petra before in that that big rock city, or maybe had never heard about it, and you know that's a there was a thriving community that Get all of this by carving these huge rock edifices into cities and again they existed at the time of Jesus uh, and yet um, you know we may go over there and look at that and go wow how did they do that with just simple tools And but these people were intelligent They they each culture learns to exist and thrive uh, with what they have uh, and you know to have that respect and to honor those cultures as you know and how how pitiful i would be if i were placed suddenly in their culture right now
2: i think one of the things along that line that i learned um i don't know probably 25 years ago now we church where we lived before had a missionary in cuba that was a cuban and he would come over you know periodically to give a report as missionaries have to do And I remember him, I wasn't there, uh, we spent a good bit of time with him, but he was telling me about when he had gone to the high school to talk to the kids. And, you know, he tells them about, they get five pounds of pinto beans and two gallons of milk for the kids every month and just kind of how it is to live in Cuba back then. And one of the high school kids says, why don't you just move here? And his answer was, Cuba's my home, you know? and, and, And him telling that story, it really struck me that especially I think as Americans, we always want people to come here and have the good life that we have when, you know, they're happy, you know, they're happy where they are. Uh, maybe it's not all that great, but it's their home. It's where their family has been for generations. And I think it's important for us to recognize that and, and not just try to put everybody into to our mold.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that concept of and I think we've talked about this before too, Terry, but just that the the benefits of of experiencing different places and cultures and what we can get for that can be replicable in our own lives and how we interact with other people here that that we're not all going to have the opportunity to to go to Israel, but we do have the opportunity each of us to engage with people who have a different story than we do or who see things from a different perspective or have a different background or or, or have just known life in different ways than we have, and I think the more that we can know those stories and, and interact with each other, the, the better, and the more empathetic we are, and um, and the, the the better we can often get along with each other and kind of see see things from from other people's point of views. And I want to I want to think about some some of your favorites from the trip now. So maybe maybe a little bit a little bit of lightning roundish, but um, but but kind of. Think, think back to the trip and some of your favorites. And so we'll start with one that I know I've, I've heard you both talk about briefly and even just some of the brief comments I've heard you think about or talk about before this. Favorite foods. Was there any favorite food that you ate while you were there?
2: We, we, we love Mediterranean food. I love like chickpeas are one of my favorite foods. So we eat a lot um, of Mediterranean dishes. But, oh, my goodness, the spreads that they put out in front of us and – I found I love eggplant I love vegetables but I love eggplant and um I had one plate because I just set out all these things I had one egg one plate that had when I finally said well what is this and what is because you know I I, I'm a cook I love food fixing food and so I'm just trying to uh you know reconstruct this dish and what's in it and what are the spices And, and like I don't even know what is this I don't I like it I don't know what it is and and I had four different dishes made from eggplant on my plate. <laughs> and I love eggplant, but it was unrecognizable to me in some, in some states. So it was, and I came home with recipes that we're going we're gonna to do. So it was really fun from that standpoint to just try to understand how they cook things and what they put together and how they use their spices. Um, I enjoyed that a lot.
0: Is there one recipe that you're most wanting to try?
2: Oh yes, (laughs) I like coconut and it was actually when we were out with the Bedouin, so out in the sand dunes with the goats and the sheep and they had a place where, you know, you would go in and they'd feed you this huge spread and and there was all these things. Well, dessert came along and it was a small piece um, of just almost all coconut, a little bar, very, very moist, it was very yummy and I swallowed mine, I just, I loved it. And um, it turned out there was an extra piece at the table. They had set one for more places than we had. And so I had made such a big deal about it. They picked it up and passed it over. And, and I ate that. And so I'm talking with our guide. It's called Basbusa. And, um, and he knew about it and kind of how to make it. And uh, matter of fact, he had me come over and he, he pulled up a YouTube video of how to make it. And I'm writing down, you know, ingredients like semolina. I've used semolina. I've got some, you know, and yogurt and on and on. And Anyway, they were teasing me about it, and um, one of the people that were serving us went, had gone and got a third one and set it down in front of me, <laughs> and it was, I don't know how many thousands of calories, but I thought, <laughs> well, now I have to eat it, and so I had three, but I've already, I've already got the ingredients for that. We're going to have that soon.
0: Sounds good. We're, re- we're, re- we're ready for a Mediterranean Wednesday night, so... Uh... Mm, we cook tomorrow. <laughs> I hadn't thought
1: about that i wasn't necessarily saying tomorrow but uh yeah just at some point at some point there was a lot of chicken and rice so i bet we could do a chicken and rice dish with uh it's uh i i don't know if i had a favorite i enjoyed a lot of the meat dishes too uh the lamb and the fish uh had a lot of lamb and fish and a lot of kebabs uh especially on the jordanian side a lot of kebabs Um, But it's all about the seasoning, you know, growing up in Texas and with Mexican food, it's all about the seasoning. And so I think that was what I enjoyed the most is the food was well-seasoned and they used lots of different spices over there. Um, You know, it's a spice-rich country. There were lots of vegetables, but uh, because a lot of times we were in hotels when we were eating, uh, they also had dessert bars with, with, I don't know, dozens 20 or 30 different kinds of desserts and even though they were little tiny desserts you could only eat about nine you eat 10 or 12 of <laughs> them per meal so i i did enjoy the desserts and so i noticed that zo has a pan of brownies sitting in the kitchen right now that i would have to go dig into but uh the food the food was excellent it's not like a few trips uh i went to russia many years ago and that is not a food trip when you go there i i uh, I didn't enjoy the food, um, even what they said were you know their specialties. I did not enjoy it. Nothing, nothing against the Russian people. I just didn't like their food. Uh, whereas the Middle East, I love Mediterranean, so it was delicious.
2: So one thing you you mentioned about favorite things, um, something that surprised was a surprise was Jerash. Um, I just didn't know about it, but Terry talked about it a little bit this this large civilization, one of the ten decapolis um, it has over a thousand columns still standing the the big uh, amphitheater and all these. but um kind of my engineer brain really cl- clicked in on it is um, is just how massive it was. these massive stones that are all carved, but they and they had these big, wide streets with big, huge stone blocks. But they had a sewer that ran down the middle of the street underneath. And they knew that because there were these periodic big stone manholes that had a big um, iron loop so that they could pick up the rocks when they needed to. Um, And it was really just fascinating to me um, that they were able to figure out so many thousands of years ago how to build these huge arches you know the arches where there's the keystone and um, all the pieces have to fit together right at the last minute and just that was really really amazing to see such a big place um, that was still had so much left in it um, that was just unexpected and I really enjoyed that
1: yeah I think uh, on that point kind of a, a something I just thought of there's a passage in Deuteronomy where Moses is talking to the people right before they cross over. And this is when Moses doesn't get to cross over and he's taken up on Mount Nebo, which is a place we went to. Um, but he's he's telling them you are, God is going to give you this land and you're going to get to live in houses you didn't build and you're going to get to enjoy vineyards that you didn't plant. And when we actually see the civilizations and the, the cities and things that, you know, they inherited, um, Because a lot of, you know, we we think of Jericho, but that's that's an anomaly. A lot of times, you know, the cities were left intact and the vineyards were left intact. Um, That the uh, Israelites, when they came in, they were were the primitive people. They were the slave people. They were the nomadic people, the sheep herders uh, coming in and, and inheriting, if you would, these spectacular cities. And it must have just been overwhelming. It would be like Moving, moving from the country to the city to, you know, to move to New York and saying, you know, this whole section of the city is yours now. And you, you're in the high rise and it's like, wow, this is some fancy duds here. Uh, and some of those cities just to have uh, bath houses and toilets and all of those things, when you've been living in a tent out in the desert with sheep for 40 years, uh, you know, that, that's going to be a change of lifestyle or for I guess for 20 years for them, those that did get to cross over. But uh, back to the the foods were excellent. We enjoyed that. I think anyone going over, uh, we did have one person on our trip that was very much a meat and taters kind of person. And so they were always picking the chicken dish. Uh, But it's like, oh, you've got to branch out and eat something besides just chicken. This other food is so fantastic. She was like, oh, I don't know. I'll just stick with the chicken.
0: Was there anything that y'all wouldn't eat? Was there was there a limit? I know you're both adventurous with food. Was there anything that you said no? I'm not going to try that. No. Nope. <laughs> four kinds of eggplant sounds like four times too, Four kinds too many for me. So yeah,
1: I think there was a time when it's like uh, I started skipping some of the salads and go straight for the meat after a while because <laughs> they they are very generous people and the amount of food was just overwhelming i couldn't eat it all and so i would go for the good stuff right off the bat and not try to waste any calories or stomach space with stuff that was more marginal like uh, lettuce and i'll just skip the lettuce let's get into some good stuff but uh it would uh i'm putting together pictures and i'll try to include some food pictures as well of some of the spreads that we had Uh, it was it was a lot of fun and um I think one thing that we did experience um, was we had to we, we were told many times that you know people are going to be very hospitable and if they offer you something then accept it, and and sometimes you're not you know you might want to question like uh, you know I might tend to quiz someone well what's in it you know how do you make it does it have this in it uh, but you know I don't want to uh, be impolite know, if someone hands me a drink or something, I will tend to just drink it, uh, try not to spit it out if I don't like it. But uh, uh, I don't think there was anything that we just absolutely refused. Uh, there were things we liked better, but uh, the food was excellent overall.
0: Well, you mentioned, you mentioned pictures, Terry, and I know you're both uh, avid photographers. Did, did you have a favorite picture that you took or favorite
1: kind of um, object to photograph while you were there? Um, for me, I mean, I, if you've ever seen pictures of Petra, just that stone city, it's, it's enormous. Uh, I enjoyed that. That's on the Jordanian side. Uh, Masada is interesting because of the history, but it's ruins on top of a tall plateau. And so it's not as quote picturesque. Uh, and so for me, my favorite were the people, uh, you know, the different cultures and and seeing like the ultra-Orthodox Jewish people, the Bedouin people, as Zoe said, the nomadic people, uh, just all the different melting pots of cultures there. And so I have a lot of images that I'm calling through of different people groups. Um, There was one day when we were out in the desert, I bought a headdress, so I was all dressed up like an Arab (laughs) out in the desert there with my headdress on. Um, and so that was my favorite is really the people. But uh, the, uh, as far as just natural sites, anything in Jerusalem and Petra, those were probably the two big ones for me. Jerusalem because of um, the walled city and the historic sites, uh, and then Petra just because it's such a, a fab. it's like seeing the pyramids. I mean, it's just this huge mammoth site that is so impressive. It's, it would be hard to walk away and not be impressed from that.
2: And the markets, you know, we've seen those in Africa and other places, and it's just it's different things. But just we don't have a lot of that in America, where you just walk with wall to wall to wall to wall, people um, selling things, and there's thousands of them, and it's really just amazing eye candy to, to see it all. Those were pretty interesting, and then of course camels. Camels are great. I are a lot of camels.
1: There? What's that?
0: Well, I was, and I know Zoe has said before she likes she likes stories in the Bible with donkeys. Did you see any donkeys? <laughs> we did oh, see yeah. a lot
1: of donkeys. <laughs>
0: We
2: yes, my my uh, three to five year olds. We have lots of donkey stories. You just I know, you don't yeah. realize how many times donkeys come up.
0: Lots of donkeys. So I hadn't thought of that yet until you said that about camels. But yeah, that's that, I'm that's glad you true. got to see some donkeys over the, there. Uh,
1: <laughs> donkeys are very sure footed, and so uh, you know if you're climbing on real rocky terrain then a donkey's your, your go-to. That's what you want to have. If it's huh? out in the desert on sand for long distances... Camels. Definitely a camel. need a camel. Yeah.
0: What about, so, um, you know, we mentioned the geography and just kind of getting the, the benefit of getting to kind of place some of those things and the elevation changes, how far apart everything is, and... And I know you said that you got to visit just a lot of the different kind of historical sites or where there was, as you said, so this was traditional. This is the site that tradition says, you know, where this happened. And and Terry, I know in other conversations that we've had, you said you y'all got to visit the site that tradition says is where Jesus was crucified, um, where he was born, I think, or at least the kind of the, the, the place that they think maybe where he was born. Were there any of those sites, kind of the specific sites and that kind of have religious significance to to many of us as Christians that you found most meaningful or, or impactful or, or favorite to visit or see? I think, you know, for me, uh, those sites are so
2: important. And and some, like on the Temple Mount, like Terry was mentioning, it, it's actually a site that's important to all of the religions. They all have a piece of their history that happened right there. Um, And because of that, they have built um, a church on top of a cathedral, on top of another cathedral. And so all of those places you just mentioned are just in huge, huge shrines with gold and lamps and lanterns. And, you know, and so it's, it's just kind of more of a, oh, you know, this is where it happened. It's not that you can sense at all what it might have been like because I mean you're inside building upon building upon building and just um, it, everything is so ornate in, in their effort to honor um, so uh, it was very interesting to do but it was not a way for me to like feel like oh I've been here um, that
1: that didn't come across yeah I think we were probably handicapped a little bit because of growing up protestant that had I grown up Orthodox or Roman Catholic, those would have been very powerful uh, because uh, the icons and just the the sense of place there, uh, even if it's not the exact place, that's probably beside the point. It's just that it's been revered as the place for almost 2,000 years. And as Zoe said, you know, some of those churches were built under Constantine, and so they were built in the 300 ADs, and there's been a church on that site ever since, and so they've been revered as the place of either the birth of Jesus or the death or the tomb, even if it's not the exact place. That's where Christians for millennia have have honored those, and so that was powerful, Uh, it was powerful for me to watch people that do have, you know, that Roman Catholic background or Orthodox to come in and to just want to touch those places and to feel blessed by those. Um, several of us went down into the Jordan river, which, uh, is just kind of a muddy hole right now because uh for agricultural reasons and irrigation and such they're just pulling so much water off of it that by the time it gets to the Dead Sea there's very little of it still going into the Dead Sea so the tr- the the traditional baptism site where Jesus was baptized or where John the Baptist was baptizing is is a muddy creek from our standpoint but uh well, I was standing on one bank and looking across to the Israeli bank and, you know, the, the tourists were just really lining up to, you know, uh, there was a Catholic priest when I was standing there and he was, he was dipping the water and, and, you know, pouring it on the individual's heads that wanted to be baptized. And, um, uh, uh and so again, there were, I won't say that there was no power in that, But I think my Protestant upbringing tends to strip away a lot of the, some of the the sense of liturgy and the sense of place. Um, And we tend to be very heady and not as, I think sometimes as emotional uh, and connected as say someone who grew up in Catholicism is. Um, at least that was my experience. Again, to go into a church, it's a beautiful church, and I know that somewhere around there, likely Jesus was crucified. And But for some, you know, that is the spot. And like, um, we talked to someone who, I think, Zoe, you were saying that you were talking to someone today, even, whose husband recently converted to Catholicism during the pandemic. And he wants to go over and have communion at what? The, the Holy Sepulchre, church, church of the Holy yeah, Sepulchre. Church of the Holy Sepulchre. which and they're scheduled the, to go in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, for some people that would be a, a and, and again, it would be meaningful for us, but it wouldn't have the same impact as if you had grown up in that tradition. Now, can you go,
0: it seems like I was reading somewhere recently about someone who went to the tomb that is uh, thought to be where Jesus was, was buried, and that you can go into the tomb. Is that accurate? Yeah, and that's, you know, what, what was interesting is um,
2: there's usually, our guide said, well, one is that Church of the Holy Sepulchre has all these parts as Terry was describing. So it's really, he said, packed, and you're just shoulder to shoulder. And their tour does not include going in that, because usually it's easily a 90-minute wait, And there's other things we could go and see and when we got to that area there were four people in line and he's like he hasn't been in in many many years and so he's like over here over here and so yes yes we went in we went inside you duck down and it's just incredibly ornate on the inside and
1: uh, zo is referring to kind of the roman catholic or eastern orthodox site uh, which is at the church of the holy sepulcher but there is what's called the garden tomb which is outside the wall, um, which is another site that I've seen other Christian groups go to. So again, it's the, you know, it's, uh, you can argue about which side. Which version saw, of history
0: do you, yeah, yeah, do you kind of adhere like to? Like I
1: just saw something the other day where someone was saying, now they've discovered the actual site of Mount Sinai and it's in Saudi Arabia. It's not even in the Sinai Peninsula. And it's like, ah, you know, how can you ever be certain, right? Um, well, it's
0: interesting that you said that about backgrounds, Terry, because the the author that I was reading talking about that experience was a Catholic, is a Catholic, and so he was talking about the experience of being there as as a Catholic and from his experience and and kind of background in that. So yeah, it is. It's interesting, kind of just based on uh, again, kind of thinking about the differences and upbringing and stories and perspectives, how different things would impact us and hit us differently based on kind of the way that we absorb those things in our own faith and and history and, and ways that we connect to, to the
1: story in different ways. I, I asked our tour guide when we were in Jerusalem about the Via Dolorosa, which is, you know, the way of suffering, uh, which is the path that Jesus was supposedly took when he had the cross and he was making his way outside the city. Um, and, um, there are 14 stations along this route and we, we we just kind of went around that and went straight to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Um, and he, our guide said, yeah, if he was doing a Catholic group, they would have probably spent three or four hours and done all 14 stations and had readings. And of those 14 stations, only seven of them may be even vaguely mentioned in Scripture and the others are just, you know, don't have any, attachment to scripture, but they're just kind of built into that because there's a lot of symbolism in the number 14, the 14 generations from David to the exile and from the exile to the time of Christ. Um, And again, so I would not take away from anybody's tradition. uh, And you know that if it's not this site, it's someplace nearby. And the power of just being there, I think, is important. Um, And even if it's not the right site again these churches have existed for 1700 years on some of these sites and um uh and so christians have venerated those sites for over a thousand years and so it is powerful just to see that even if it's not the actual site and keep in mind that the whole city was totally demolished uh in about 130 AD when the romans finally got fed up during the time of the Second Revolt, and just flattened the city. So we went to one place, they called the Upper Room for the Last Supper, and it's like, uh, I don't think this room actually existed uh, because it would have been destroyed. And they said, oh, it was it was probably built, you know, during the Crusades, which are in around 1000 A.D. Uh, but again, like when we were in- uh, Still historical. Yeah. yeah, when we were in the city of Jaffa, which is called Joppa in the New Testament, where Simon Peter was up on the rooftop and he got the vision of the sheep being let down. We found a house and it says, home of Simon the Tanner. Well, again, it's probably not, but, you know, it's a nice connection to say, oh yeah, I remember this town in the Bible and that's where Peter was and he was on the rooftop um, when he had that vision. Yeah, it at least
0: gives you a more concrete connecting point than than kind of what we might have in our head or, or whatever else. Yeah. Well, and you, so Terry, you mentioned the, the Sabbath elevators. I want to come back to that real quick and then before we maybe do some closing thoughts. Were there any other kind of aspects of life on, on Sabbath, on, on Shabbat, that were different noticeably kind of for you, from y'all's perspective on that day than maybe the other days of the week?
2: It was crazy. It was there was all these rules, and so we were really glad to have a Jewish guy to keep us out of trouble. So this isn't related necessarily uh, to the Sabbath, but just kind of in the light of things that are different. I had noticed on our doorway, the door frame into our hotel room, there was this little metal bar, kind of at an angle, and it's like, what is that? And I looked around; they all had that, and um, so you know. Google Google is great. You just put metal bar on door frame and it pops right up. And it's a it's a mezuzah. Is that right? Mezuzah for the um, Jewish folks inside is a scripture, a certain scripture that has to be hand you know lettered, and you have to be able to see at least a little piece of that scripture so that when the letters begin to fade you know, it's time to take it off and replace the little scripture. And what they do is when they walk in their door, every time they touch it with their fingers, and then touch their fingers to their mouth. And it's about you shall, um, you know, have the scriptures on you and will mark your doorposts. And so after that, we saw him everywhere. And then uh, when we asked our guide about it, he said, yeah, there's kind of this controversy on whether it should be straight up or you know sideways and so they settled with at an angle so most of them we saw were at an angle <laughs> but it's just there's no telling how many things like that were around us that we didn't notice
1: yeah the a lot of traditions. public transportation shuts down on on the sabbath and remember their sabbath starts at night and goes mm-hmm. it starts at night and then through the next day and so it's interesting because if you're in a group that arrives Saturday morning then you're you're in that time of no public transportation and uh and you can still get taxis and other things but uh you know like rail and buses and things like that all shut down um we no hot food for breakfast oh, one, one, uh one interesting thing i found was we were in the hotel and our guide said, oh, I just need to remind you guys that this uh, tonight at dark starts Shabbat, starts the Sabbath. And so uh, tonight's supper at the hotel is gonna be a little different. All the food was prepared earlier so they won't have to be making food when the Sabbath starts. And if you want, um, you know, we can do some traditional blessings sabbath blessings and so they had these little bottles of quote wine they were really non-alcoholic grape juice their good church of christ thing that would have (laughs) there was plenty of wine uh you could get real wine too but you'd have to pay for that but this was free little bottles of grape juice in little wine glasses and uh our jewish guide said some of the blessings but we saw um uh, a number of jewish families there in the hotel and, you know, the it was traditional for the oldest male family member to do a blessing for all of the people. So we would see a, someone standing, putting his hand on someone and saying a blessing, and then they would drink their, their wine or their juice uh, for that. And it's kind of like for them, it's like their Sunday meal, like after church on Sunday and you all go to a restaurant. So they had a big meal. The added complexity was it all had to be fixed beforehand and could not be fixed in uh, that next morning, some of our group were kind of grousing around trying to find coffee and there was no hot coffee because uh, it all had to be instant at that point because anything had to be fixed in advance. Um, and so, again, I think those are some things and uh, Zoe and I were there. We we didn't realize it, but um, we saw some things that look like what you might see at Halloween. We saw these big inflatables and at one point we were in a restaurant with a lot of young people and a lot of the boys, uh older teenage boys were dressed like girls and they had the big rosy cheeks and uh and I thought maybe they were part of a fraternity and it was almost like a hazing to take all your pledges out dressed as girls. And so we asked them, Hey, you know, what's going on? And they said, Oh, we well, it's the holiday and so I was like, What holiday? And it's Purim, the uh Jewish festival that honors uh, you know, what what occurred in Esther. And so we were there over Purim um, and they have readings from Torah or they have readings from uh, scripture from the Jewish text. Uh, I, I believe it's readings from Esther but readings, but then they also dress up in all these costumes there. And so we went to the downtown area where they were having kind of like a big party and stuff, and people were dressed up in costumes and just having a big time. They um, our,
2: our guide equated it to Halloween, yet it's a religious holiday. And so we saw at a synagogue, they were outside, and they were reading and reading. for. I mean, we came back two hours later, they're still reading, and the people are sitting there outside. But they're all dressed up like clowns and elves and just... It was an unusual sight.
0: (laughs) Silly things. Yeah. Well, I told I told Terry, I think, if, if I have it right, I think they read all of, of the book of Esther in one sitting at Perum, which is, yeah, would would certainly take a while to, to get through, especially in a public setting like that and, and with some of the interruptions that they have to the story and, and different things they do through the reading of it. But Terry, you had mentioned to me kind of the purpose behind some of those. Did you mention that here? Just kind of why
1: wh- why they have the costumes in connection with
0: that celebration?
1: Yeah, I had to look that up because I thought, what is the connection between wearing a Halloween costume in Purim, which is about, you know, the salvation of the Jewish people, and they weren't killed by, um, by you know, the group in power, by the... the Mordecai. Yeah. And, and what one rabbi said is that uh, because God pretended to allow the Jewish people to face their demise. To, and so the whole nation there thought that the Jewish people would be wiped out. And then it flipped on itself, and the Jewish people actually came out victorious, and Mordecai was advanced uh, under the king, uh, under the Persian king, and you know Esther was queen. And so that thought of God pretended that something was going to happen, and then it didn't and there was a surprise, a happy surprise for the Jewish people, is the Jewish people dress up and pretend to be something they're not, and they honor the happy surprise of their people's salvation. And again, that's just one rabbinical tradition as to why. But uh, you and I have talked about that, Warren, about kind of the flexibility that the Jewish tradition allows, and you know, they'll study the same passage, and they'll come to come up with very different meanings besides maybe what was originally like i'm pretty sure uh, at the time of purim nobody was dressed up in halloween costumes right and uh and yet that's their new tradition so yeah well I'm, I'm sure there's all kinds of things we could keep talking about but
0: we won't we won't keep you too much longer and maybe this will give people a baseline for if, if they have uh questions questions about other specifics they can ask you, or if they do have general questions, you can just point them to the podcast instead of repeating the same stuff over and over again. But, <laughs> um, but before we close out, any any other stories or experiences or kind of points of interest that we didn't get to that you think would be interesting to people?
1: You know, I think um, for one, it's a it's a validating trip to be able to read something in the Bible and then go to a place and it, and have it make sense for you. The geography makes sense, the names of the cities. And again, that's not to say that the Bible is a history book in the way we think of history books. Again, it was written for a specific people for a specific purpose. Uh, in the same way, our history books, you know, if we read a history book about the United States independence with England, over in great britain it may read very differently about our war of independence it told from their perspective so the the bible definitely has a perspective on it but still it is founded in truth and it's founded in you know it's 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 based upon historical events that occurred and so again it's a validating experience i really enjoyed it um it's one that we had talked about Zoe and I had talked about for some time but it always seemed like there was some reason not to go uh because of either some geopolitical uprising or tensions and then oddly enough you know now we had the pandemic laid on top of that and we still went but uh we were we were glad and uh, I would encourage people to uh consider such a trip i think it is uh, again It's life-affirming, it's faith-affirming to go over there, but go with an open mind. Don't go with a narrow interpretation. And if someone tells you something that's different than the way you've always been taught, just be curious, ask questions, and don't assume you have it right, but don't assume they have it right either. We all have our traditions. And I think just that curiosity and being open to exploring and chances are none of us have it exactly right, and the real truth is somewhere you know outside of what we thought uh, and that's the that 's the enjoyable thing for scripture for me is I learn new truths all the time, and as new evidences as new perspectives as languages are evolving, and we and new archaeological evidence come you know are found, then that's faith building. I will say one thing that was really interesting which is uh, all the Hebrew scrolls like the Dead Sea Scrolls and coins, uh, that um, emulence, they, they found things that went back to several thousand years that had Hebrew written on it. And it's the same Hebrew lettering and wording as today. And our guide said what's amazing is he can pick up some of those scrolls that were found like at Qumran in the Dead Sea and he can read them. Um, you know that that's the same Hebrew they're taught today, and so uh, that's impressive to be able to find old relics and artifacts from thousands of years and still be able to just pick it up and read it like a modern reading today, uh, and so that that's impressive and. And that's a tiny little population, the Jewish population. And as someone once said, just the fact that they still exist is probably a miracle in and of itself, that they haven't been totally wiped off the face of the earth is probably a testament that God still has a purpose for them.
2: Yeah, and I I think, you know, we haven't traveled super extensively internationally, but we've been to some very, very interesting places, Iceland and Antarctica and um, but I think going to Israel, um, that's actually a direct connection to our daily lives, even though it's very different, um, you know, everything was different, but it, it, there is a very large piece of that that is incredibly relatable as they stood and read Bible verses at, at different places uh, where we stopped, and that probably won't happen in, in other countries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I appreciate y'all taking some time to to share with us today and to to share some of your experiences and your time there and and yeah, just to follow up on on kind of what both of you were saying there at the end that it is it's I think it's a concept that we can all keep in mind regardless of whether or not we have the the opportunity to actually go over there but just to to keep an open mind and to be open to other perspectives and we only we only grow in in ourselves and in our own understanding of Scripture and our, our faith in the world, if, if we're able and, and willing to do that. And so I, but I, I appreciate y'all taking some time to, to share about your experiences there. And we look forward to uh, seeing some of the pictures and trying some of the food at some point. So <laughs> we'll I'll be that. looking for those coconut bars at some point. <laughs> All so. <right>. That's Busa. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, we, we, we tend to close our episodes in prayer. So let me close us in prayer and then, uh, then we'll be done for today. God, thank you for. Um, for the opportunities that we have in, in our world to learn, to, to experience different places and peoples and perspectives and foods and structures and archaeology and geography and all the, the diversity and, and the, the differences that you have built into to the world and, and the ways that we experience it. And we're grateful for, for people like uh, Zoe and, and Terry who can, can share their experiences with us and, and what they've uh, learned and, and taken from, from a trip like this. And God, I just uh, am, am grateful for, for the ways in which we can all connect to, to your story and, and to our faith in, in unique and different ways. And so God, I pray that you continue to build within us uh, curiosity and a desire to explore and discover whether that's from the comforts of, of our own home or from, from literally exploring and, and discovering across the country or the world. And we're grateful for Jesus and for his love and for his grace and, and mercy which unites us all. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.